Turn with me, if you would, this evening in the Holy Scriptures to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We're also going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 2, so you're close by. We'll just turn from one to the other. Hebrews 4 and verse uh, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Is he a great high priest? <laughs> Just the greatest great high priest there ever was and ever will be. That is passed into the heavens. Who is he? Jesus, the Son of God. Because we have such an one representing us being our high priest, let us hold fast our profession. Now you could just stop right here and teach for the next three months on confession. Couldn't you? Because what is he working with as our high priest? And having made such a tremendous statement, you know, you got such this wonderful high priest, and the very next thing he says, in light of that, hold fast to your confession. Should we watch what comes out of our mouth? Should we see to it that we speak the truth only, the word only over ourselves, and give him something to work with in our lives, something to represent us with at the right hand of majesty? Verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, we ought never say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what it feels like to be me. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. I'm reading right here in the Bible where we have a great high priest who has been and is and can be touched with any feeling. And all feelings because he was tempted in all points. The NIV says in every way he was tempted. The NAS says in all things. The English in every respect he was tempted. Just like us. Do you believe Jesus was tempted in every way that you've ever been tempted? And in ways you haven't been tempted? But there's no man or no woman that has ever lived or ever will live that will be tempted to do something that he was not tempted. Nobody can ever say, well, you don't know what I'm going through, Lord. You don't know how I was tempted. He does know. He was. Not only did he experience the same temptations in every way, in all things, in every respect... But he overcame every one of them, did not yield to any one of them, proving it can be done. Now, lest you stop right there and going, yeah, yeah, but now, Brother Keith, that's Jesus. Read the next verse. Come on, read the next verse. It didn't say, so in light of that, be amazed and impressed with Jesus. We should be impressed with him. But what should we get out of this? Read the next verse. What does it say? Let us therefore. Now therefore, what's it therefore? It connects 
the previous thing he said with it. What? Because he has been tempted in every area, every way, every respect, just like us, we are to come boldly to the throne of grace and do what? Obtain mercy and get grace to help in the time of need. Now keep it in context. What kind of time of need? Being tempted. Now when you say tempted, so many times people think, you know, tempted for immorality. Well, that's just one area. You can be tempted to doubt. Tempted to worry. Tempted to fear. Right? Tempted to be lazy. (laughs) There's all kind of temptations. But here's the good news. He was tempted in every one of them. And overcame every temptation in every area. And is sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Completely victorious over every sin. Every temptation. And he's there for you. And he's there for me. Ready to help us. Give us grace. Give us mercy in any and every temptation we will ever experience. Now, friend, that's worth shouting about. I'm telling you, that is good news. What's the good news? Because he made it. With his help, we can make it. Because he overcame every temptation. With his help, we can overcome every temptation. Now, a lot of folks don't believe that. They just don't. A lot of preachers, a lot of Christians do not believe that last statement I made. They believe we're just old sinners saved by grace. But the emphasis is on the old sinners. And that we all sin every day. And it's our nature. And nobody could make it through a morning without sinning. Now this is preached. This is taught all over the place. But it's a lie. I said it's a lie. It's a lie. It's possible for you to go all day and night and not sin. It's possible for you to go all week and not sin. Come on, somebody help me out now. It's possible to go the whole month of May (laughs) and not sin one time. Now see, when you say that, people look at you like, uh, no, but listen to me. Jesus went his whole life. Yeah, but that's Jesus. No, he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man. Showing us it could be done. And showing us how to do it. Not only that, he conquered sin and death and hell and the grave and rose triumphantly over all of it and is sit down at the right hand of majesty at the right hand ready to help us do it. He's given us his name. He's given us the greater one, the Holy Spirit. He's sitting there representing us, ready to work with our confession. He's ready for us to come and ask for help in our time of need. And Him give us grace and give us mercy and get us through it. 
said out loud, we don't don't have to to sin. sin. Said out loud, I don't don't have to sin sin. ever. I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. Now, you have sinned. And I have sinned. But every time we did, we could have done differently. Every time you and I missed it in the past, we could have resisted the temptation. And not given in. And not fallen. Every one of us. Every time. Now, if we couldn't have, then it's not our fault. And we're not responsible. And we shouldn't be held accountable. And we shouldn't be required to repent. Because we couldn't help it. But the fact that we are required to confess our sin. And to repent. And ask for forgiveness. Means we could have done differently. We just failed to. Say it one more time. I don't have to. Sin. Now let's quote some scripture over us. I mean, we've read this before in Romans 6, but let's proclaim it again. Sin shall not have dominion over me. I'm free from sin. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Free me. Free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that what that's talking about? All through there. That third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth chapters of Romans. That's what he's talking about all through there. Jesus has done all that is needed and all that is necessary for you and I to live a victorious life over all sin. Now let's go further into this tonight. Can you believe with me for a while? And let's delve into this. We didn't read Hebrews 2, but you know it goes into talking about he was made just like us. And Hebrews 4 said he was tempted just like us in all areas. Go with me over to Romans 7. We were talking about these places. Let's look at them briefly. Romans 7. I was talking to somebody last Friday night after the service and I said, you know... (laughs) If you advertised and said, we're having a seminar on temptation and sin, everybody come. (laughs) Well, it's one of those subjects, it's one of those things that people think, "Eh, when are we having the prosperity seminar? (laughs) When are we going to have the faith seminar? When are we going to have the healing seminar? You know, our marriage meeting... We've had wonderful meetings, but we've had a lot of our own people not come. And a lot of people from other places not come. And I think there's this mentality that if you come, somewhere or another it's an admission that your marriage needs help. (laughs) Well, let me just go ahead and break the ice. Your marriage does need help. Every marriage in here needs help. (laughs) Now we got that out of the way, you can just come right on. <laughs> but there's, you understand what I'm saying? There's wrong thinking. People think, oh, that won't be fun. That won't be, 
You know, and sometimes people know they got problems and they just want to pretend they don't. They want to ignore them and not deal with them. But that's not how life gets better. And the same thing with this. People in the church, now you know it as well as I, but I mean people are falling in gross sin in churches all over the country, all over the world. Not two or three here and there. People are just falling every day. And yet... People act like we don't need to talk about temptation and sin. Well, we do. But we need to do it in faith. Somebody say, no condemnation. condemnation. Getting free. free. The truth makes us free. And this is what we're talking about, the truth about temptation and sin. Romans 7, are you there? Romans 7. And uh, 12. 7-12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Now let's just stop right here. We asked the question and answered it, what is sin? And we're going to be talking about that more. But one of the definitions of sin is, from the scripture, the transgression of the law is sin. Let's look at the most basic part of it, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Well, if you lie, you sin. Hmm? Thou shalt not steal. So, if you know the law says don't steal, and you know stealing is wrong, and you steal, you sin. Now, we live in a world, like the scripture talked about, we read, that mocks sin. People make a mockery of sin. And they go, well, what is sin? Sin's your Victorian idea of how I'm supposed to live my life. Sin is this. Every denomination has got a different take. And everybody's got their own set of lists of do's and don'ts and what's sin. And this is a sin and this ain't a sin. And this might be a sin and gray areas. No, no. no. It's a lot simpler in the Word of God. We gave you this definition, and I think it'll bear meditation. Sin is violation of light. There's no such thing as a person who sinned and they didn't know it was wrong. Are you with me now? No such thing. Somebody sinned and they didn't know it was wrong. Sin is violation of what you know about right and wrong. But the problem is people kid themselves, they deceive themselves, and other people are try to about what they know. People try to pretend I didn't know when they did. And old friend, that's one of the worst things you could possibly do. The Bible says if we're walking in darkness and we say we haven't sinned, We're lying. But if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs says if you cover your sin, you will not prosper. But if you'll confess your sin and forsake it, you'll get mercy. That sounds like what we just read in Hebrews, isn't it? You'll get mercy, you'll get grace to help in your time of need. Romans 7, did you find that? Let's keep reading. It says in verse uh, 
12, the law is holy, the commandments holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death to me, God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin. What does that mean? That people might realize that sin is sin. Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now what does that mean? The New Living Testament says it like this. The latter phrase says, so we can see how terrible sin really is. Sin is an awful thing. The greatest destroyer and killer of mankind on the planet is not war, it's not disease, it's not famine, it's sin. Because had it not been for sin, these things would not have been. Now here's the thing, we've talked about this before. You're there in Romans 7, go back to 6, the last verse, what is it, 6.23? And what does it say there, 6.23? The what? The wages of sin is what? Is death. Now you'll find also throughout that latter part of that chapter, he keeps referring to the law of sin. Somebody say law. law. Now look down at the eighth chapter and the first verse. We just got through quoting this, and man, this is such a wonderful shouting verse here. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 2, what does it say? For the what? Somebody say law. law. The law. What is a law? A law is something that is established. It works the same way everywhere, all the time. Right? It's a law. An established principle in the creation of God. You know, you do this and this happens. Not just for some people, not just part of the time. It happens everywhere, all the time. It's a law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from what? From the law of sin and death. Is sin and death a law? Is there a higher law that will set you free? There's a law of gravity, right? You jump off the barn. You go down, not just on Tuesdays. <laughs> you jump off the barn, you go down. I don't care what color you are, which gender you are, you jump off the barn. If you didn't finish third grade or if you got four doctorates, you jump off the barn. <laughs> Come on, help me out now. Why? It's a law. And for century after century after century... Man's feet stayed planted solidly on terra firma because of that law. And they could only wistfully look up in the skies and try to imagine what it would be to soar like an eagle, to soar like a bird. Until some folks discovered another law. Oh, somebody get ready to shout. Come on. Another law. It didn't do away with the law of gravity, 
but it was a law that enabled you to supersede. Oh, come on. People learned about the law of lift. And that if you'd push a windfall through the air with enough speed, it would actually lift right off the ground. And it just sounds shocking. And when the Wright brothers were trying to do their thing at Kitty Hawk, people, everybody believed. And they, it, I mean, it was coming all over the world. Well, if God would have intended man to fly, he would have created him with wings. <laughs> and in just a few decades, something as big as a 747 with hundreds of people Hundreds of thousands of pounds of fuel and mass and weight lift right up off the ground. Even though gravity is working just like it always did. There is a law of sin and death. But there's another law. Woo, there's another law. Come on, tell me what that other law is. It is the law. Law. Law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it has the power to set you free. Woo, free from the law of sin and death. Now he had said in chapter 7, he talked about the terribleness of sin, one translation says. And we need still a greater revelation of this. People view sin too lightly. They talk about sin too lightly. You hear people say, well, you know, what's the big deal? We'll just, they're talking about before they do something they know is wrong, we'll just First John 1, 9 it afterwards. Friend, that's a serious thing. And I'm believing God before we get through tonight, we can get some revelation of this. How many would agree sin is a terrible, terrible thing? It's what put Jesus on the cross. It's why he had to come. It is the cause of all the babies suffering, all the war cruelty, all the famine, all the disease, every terrible thing that has ever happened on this planet is because of its... uh, Mother, sin, and father, Satan, the destroyer. And he could have done nothing except for the sin that led him in. And if you and I have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he's cleaned us from sin, and forgiven us, and washed us, why in the world would we want to open the door to more sin in our life after we've been cleaned? Why would we view it as a small thing? How many know that it has to be that Adam and Eve had no clue what was about to happen when they sinned against God? There's no way they saw the suffering of humanity. There's no way They knew the anguish and torment that men and women and innocence would endure generation after generation after generation after generation. 
Do you think they in good conscience could have gone through with that? Looking in all humanity's faces. What am I talking about? The wages of sin, come on, is death. It's a law. What is the law? The sin goes with the death. The death goes with the sin. There is no such thing as sin without death. Lord, help us to get this settled. Help us to get this in us. When the devil is out there lying to them, telling them they can sin and not die, is he lying to them? But they bought into it, didn't they? Particularly Eve, the Bible said she was deceived. And Adam, even more serious, wasn't deceived. He saw where it was going. But for whatever reasons, both of them did it. Ever since that day, he does the same thing with you, with me, with everybody. What's he telling you? Oh, it's a million different ways and phrases and suggestions and imaginations. But the bottom line's the same. You can do it and not die. <laughs> you can do it. Without it costing you. You can do it. Without getting caught. You can do it. And nobody will know. You can do it. Somebody tell me lie. Say lie. It's a lie. Why? Because it's a law. Oh I got four people with me. Is it a law? Tell me what the law is. The law of what? Sin. Come on tell me the other part. And. What's the law? The law of gravity. Jump off the barn. What? When? Now. Every time? Yes. For everybody? Yes. Can you jump off the barn and not go down? Yes. It's a law. No matter what you throw off, who jumps off, it's a law. And when you sin, tell me what the law is. Yes. Death every time for everybody, everywhere, does not matter. Death. There's no such thing as somebody that sinned and didn't have death. No such thing. Go with me, if you would, in the Scripture to uh, Samuel. 2 Samuel 11. I have heard people refer to David, King David, in talking about sin. And basically use it to justify themselves. And use it to minimize sin. Do you know what I'm talking about or not? I've heard it numerous times. I've heard it with preachers. I've heard it with men and women. I've heard it with numerous people. They blew it. They messed up. They sinned. And a lot of times, even though people have sinned, they don't want it to cost them anything. They say, well, God forgives. And so, because he forgives me, you're supposed to forgive me too. And their interpretation of that is that I, my life does not change. It doesn't cost me. Tell me about the law again. There's a law. 
that when you sin, what happens? Death occurs. Now James, we read that last week. James goes into that. He tells you exactly how temptation operates and how the law of sin and death works in it. He said, let nobody say when they're tempted, I'm tempted of God. He said, never say that. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. But every man, notice the language. Who does this work with? Every man man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, his own desire, his own longing, and enticed. And what is it going to talk about? Put it up for me if you would, guys. James, just hold your place here in 2 Samuel. When lust has conceived, what happens? Now, we've heard this so many times that it just kind of goes right over our head. Let's use different words. When there is a longing conception, when does conception occur? After and during longing. And this is longing for something that you know is wrong. If you yield to the longing and you let yourself think about it and you let yourself long after it, it is not an innocent thing. You're actually becoming intimate with something wrong and you will conceive. You'll conceive what? You will conceive sin. And it will grow in you. Are you listening now? It will grow in you until you commit it. Until you give birth to it. Until you act on it and you sin. And then keep sinning. And keep sinning. And as you're doing that, something else is growing in your life. What is it? Death. And when you get to the end of it, you'll have a full harvest of death. Does this just happen part of the time? With some people. Say it out loud, it's a law. It happens every time. Now see, God warned Adam and Eve about this, didn't he? Didn't he warn them? Didn't he tell them? In the day they did it, they would die. But they did not fall dead physically. But did they die? Oh, you can see the effects of death all over them. Next time he comes to talk to them, they're hiding in the bushes. They're talking about being naked. They're condemned. They're scared. They're fearful. They're unbelieving. Death's all over them. Death doesn't just mean physical cessation of life. The literal Hebrew, one of the definitions is loss of life. To lose life. How many understand and believe when a person sins, they are going to lose life? Not maybe. Not part of the time. Now, what will the devil tell you? The devil will tell you nobody will know and it's not going to cost you. He's a liar. Didn't he tell them that? Didn't he tell them you won't die? What's he telling them? You can get by with it. You can do it. And it not cost you. But how come that can't be? Because it's a law. It's a law. You sin, you die. You sin, you die. 
I want you to see where this starts. Because, friend, this is victory. We're talking about the truth about temptation. And when we see it, that truth will make us free. Where did it start? Hmm? Every man is tempted. When? When and where does this start? And how many understand by answering this, we can know when and where we can stop it. Before there's ever conception, before there's ever birth, before there's ever sin, and before there's ever death. Where? Drawn away of what? Of what? His or her own lust. Now lust simply means longing. Longing, craving, desire. And what's the the application of this? For something you know is wrong. Now... Second Samuel, go back over there and let's talk further about this. Let's look at how this, this is such a well-known happening of a man sinning. Such a classic picture of what happened. And we want to touch on the other side because people use David to excuse their own failures and weaknesses. And people say, well, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He's the anointed psalmist. And he just fell and made a mistake. And that's all I've done is fell and made a mistake. And uh, God will forgive me and, and y'all forgive me and just let me keep all my responsibilities and all my privileges. And even if people don't say it, that's what they're Asking you to do and kind of requiring of you. Come on, tell me what are they trying to say that I can sin and not have death? It's true. David is a man after God's own heart. It's true. David is a man who loved God with all this. I'm looking forward to meeting the man. You can hear it in his writings. You can see it in the Psalms. And God did forgive him, didn't he? And I assure you, he's never brought it up to him since he's been in heaven. And he never will. Do y'all remember the last time Brother Jesse was here? And he talked about the experience that he had. And he talked about talking to Jonah. To me, that was enlightening. Because he got a chance to talk to Jonah. And I understand heaven's a real place. All these people we read about, they're there. They've been there for all these centuries. And he thought, you know, of course it's kind of a thing in theological circles about uh, was Jonah in a fish? Was it really a fish? Was it a great fish? Was it a whale? Or what was it? Or how is that even possible? And theologians just fight small wars over such things. And and so he thought, well, boy, this is a great opportunity. I can get the answer to this right, right here. Some of Brother Jesse. And uh, he said, so Jonah, Jonah, he said, what were you in? Was that a whale or you were in a big fish? He said he knew the moment it came out of his mouth, he had said the wrong thing. He just knew it. He knew by the look on the man's face. And he said, Jonah looked at him and said, uh, Jesse, I was in disobedience. (laughs) 
they're not like dumb humans. You know, you, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. We're talking, we want to be technical about this. And this is the main thing. I mean, the main thing is the man was in disobedience against God. And how many understand also it was a revelation to me as I know it was to Jesse. I thank him for being so open and sharing about it. It's impolite to bring such things up. They don't talk such things in heaven. Because <laughs> if you're forgiven, you're forgiven. If you're clean, you're clean. So we ain't going to be talking about how you miss God. Later on, somebody say, glory to God. Thank God. <laughs> your sins and your iniquities in mind are going to be remembered. No. No more. No more. He said, I won't remember them. Somebody say, glory to God. But here's the thing. Yeah, David loved the Lord. Yes, he was a good man. Yes, he sinned terribly. Here's the thing people don't look at. He did. And God forgave him. He did. But it cost him. Oh, did he experience death? Let's go over a little bit of what he experienced. We, maybe we'll read about it in just a moment. But he saw the woman. He longed for her. He took her. And over the course of the next days and weeks, found out she was with child. How many understand this is such a physical portrait of what we just got through reading about in James? Longing. Conception. Bringing forth. And now you're going to begin to see death. 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 The woman has a husband. Uriah. She's pregnant. She's getting bigger every day. It's going to soon be known. He called him in, tried to get him to go home and be with his wife so nobody would know. And he could just pretend, you know, she could pretend that it was his and it wouldn't come out. But Uriah was such a man of honor. Well, when you really see what happened, it'll bring tears to your eyes. David betrayed a man that was willing to die for him. On any day. A man of such integrity and honor. And uh, historians and those that know something about it tell us. They put him on the hottest part of the front line. And withdrew from him. And historians say he lasted quite a while. (laughs) He was such a man of integrity. He's fighting for his God. He was fighting for his king. How many stand on that day? He's better off than David. I mean, he died, but dying ain't the worst thing can happen to you. Being a living liar and deceiver and murderer is a lot worse than dying a man of honor. It's just like he stuck the sword in the man himself, killed one of his most loyal Faithful men. Next thing you know, the child they had dies. Here's two deaths already. Somebody say death. Death. Then not long after this, his son rapes his daughter. Somebody say death. death. 
How much that everything produces after its own kind too? Can you see this kind of thing coming up in his household? Because he was doing it. His son rapes his daughter. His daughter, the implication that his daughter was never right again, that her life was ruined. She didn't get over it. She didn't recover from it. And not long after that, Amnon's brothers murdered him. Are you keeping track now of what it's costing David? Absalom killed his brother, Amnon. And he runs for his life. Well, Absalom was the apple of David's eye. He's in line for the throne. and So he's estranged from his son. He's lost two children to death already. And another is, uh, life is ruined. Tamar, his daughter. And over the course of time, his son Absalom, that's like his own heart and joy, betrays him. With the commander of the, and chief of the armies. And David has to run like a common criminal. You remember that? At a time where he's an older man, he ought to be enjoying life. He ought to be enjoying, he has to run like he used to when he's running from Saul. The difference is this time, it ain't in the plan of God. It's because of his sin. And even though he pled with them not to kill Absalom when they fought the fight, he died on the battlefield. How many children has he lost already? Come on, talk to me. Do you know? Hmm? The baby that died from Bathsheba immediately. Amnon. Tamar's life is destroyed. Absalom. Now I'm just going to stop right here. When he's looking at this woman from the top of his house, did he know it's going to cost him all this? To be with this woman. Hmm? Would anybody reasonably say, I don't care, I'm going to sacrifice my whole family, I'm going to sacrifice my honor over this fling with this woman. Now I've had people look me in the eye, not just once, not just twice. I've had people look me in the eye when I was trying to plead with them and they said, I don't care. I know it's wrong, but I don't care. And I know it may cost me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't mean a couple of times. I've had grown men do this to me. I've had women say this to me. I've had young people say this to me. I'm not exaggerating. I'm thinking of two or three times right now. Men that God had placed in my life. And if they said it once, they must have said it a dozen times. Oh, Brother Keith, if you ever get anything, if you ever get anything... You know, tell me, and I respect you, and I think so much of what you say. And Well, one time he did. Kept me up half the night about him. I went and saw him. I told him, I said, if you do this, it's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you your money. It's going to cost you your family. I told another man on another occasion, I said, if you do this thing, it's going to cost you a relationship. It's going to cost you ministry. Both of them did it anyway. Now, you may have heard some people tell you and say, well, I don't care how much it costs. That person is a fool. Hmm? I don't know what was going through Adam and Eve's mind. Eve was deceived. She bought into it that they weren't really going to die. 
Adam was not deceived, but I guess he thought he's willing to pay the cost. I don't know. But how many understand, if you really saw the cost, you'd have to be a complete fool. To say, I don't care if it's wrong. I don't care how much it's going to cost me. You'd have to be a complete fool to say, I'm going to do it anyway. But what is, if that's true, and the wages of sin is death, why do people keep doing it? Ain't no need pointing fingers. You've done it. I've done it. Why do people keep doing it? Because they keep buying into the lie. We can do it without the death. We can do it without getting caught. We can do it. And because it seems like sometimes you have gotten away with it. And the thing is, nobody ever has gotten away with anything. Oh, I know somebody. They killed three people. Nobody ever found it out. Do you think this life is the end? Nobody ever gets away with anything. There's only one thing that will set you free from the law of sin and death. Come and somebody tell me what it is. There is a law. Oh, hallelujah. Because of what Jesus did. Because of the blood of the Lamb. There is something greater than this. But you won't experience the fruit of it living in sin. It will be because you repent. You confess your sin. You acknowledge it. You repent. You get out of it. You quit yielding. You go another way. With that in mind, David had to run for his life. He was humiliated. How many remember the guy who was at Shimei that ran alongside him and called him every name in the book and cursed him? And How many understand David's having a bad day? <laughs> and Absalom took David's wives up on top of the house and in, went in to them. In the public, somebody say disgrace, disgrace. Shame. shame, death. Yeah. I think there needs to be revelation because you hear too many people saying, well, yeah, David loved the Lord and he sinned and God forgave him. He did forgive him and he will forgive you. But if you think you can sin without death, you're believing the same lie that Adam and Eve stood out there by that tree and believed. There's no such thing as sinning. And no death. Thank God there's forgiveness. Thank God there's cleansing. Thank God he will not remember it. But it's going to cost you. There's no such thing. You know Proverbs talks about it. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Mm -mm. You can't. You can be forgiven. But the death is going to be there. It's something you'll have to overcome. Something you'll have to get past. Tell me what would be better. Thank God there is an answer. There is forgiveness. There is cleansing. But tell me what's even better than falling and experiencing death and overcoming and being forgiven. Is there something better? Hmm? Not yielding to the temptation. Did David have to yield to this temptation? Could he have done something else? Let's read it and tell me exactly where he could have done something else. <laughs> Are you here or not? Second Samuel 11. It came to pass after the year had expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. Now every one of these words is significant. When who goes to battle? Kings. kings. That David sent 
Joab. It didn't say at the time of the year when the kings send people. <laughs> when the kings go forth to the battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now you know what's coming up later about him seeing this woman and about him getting into sin. Why is he telling us all this to the leading up to this? David started out this thing facing Goliath. Didn't he? He's a fighting man. It's his call. It's his grace. It's his anointing. Israel has many enemies. And God has raised him up and anointed him to deliver them. And to protect them. This is a big part of his life. A big part of his ministry. It's his ministry. But he'd been king for a while now. And it's easy to get used to just telling other folk what to do. Hmm? And it come around time to go out again. And he thought, ah, y'all just go. <laughs> y'all go fight. I'm the king. I'm going to stay here in the air conditioning. How many understand being at the wrong place at the wrong time is an open door to the enemy? You actually make yourself susceptible to temptation you should have never experienced. So he's not on the battlefield. He's not leading his men. He's not in his ministry. He's not in his anointing. Where is he? (laughs) He's hanging around (laughs) up on top of the house. Bored. He done seen all the jugglers and heard all the concerts and ain't every kind of food you can eat and tried on 12 different new outfits and rode in all the new chariots and the fast horses and he's done everything and he's seen everything and he's up there bored. Let's talk about this. Young person, I don't care if they're 10 years old or 50 years old. Marriage, single, makes no different. Minister, in any form of business. If you're bored, it's because you're not doing something you're supposed to be doing. I want to say that again, real slowly. If you're bored, your kids come in and plop down. Mama, we're bored. (laughs) You know, we never said that. Around our house, I know mom would find me a half acre flower bed just to fill up and mow. Oh, no. No. Because that was to their ears, mom and dad's ears, and it's the truth. We're telling them we're not doing stuff we're supposed to be doing. And so they'd help us find out the stuff that we're supposed to be doing and get us back occupied. And it's the same thing if you're a grown man or woman. You're loitering around. You're bored. You know why? Because in your heart, you know there's something you're supposed to be doing. And you don't want to do that. So you've got to find something else to do. And that's where the door swings open for the enemy. So David's bored, and he's up there looking around. What's he looking for off the top of his house? I'd see what he can see. He's going to see what he can see. 
Because, you know, his house taller than everybody else's house. And he can look down. He can see in windows. <laughs> Human nature has never changed. He's standing up there looking around. Verse 2, are you there? It came to pass in an eventide. David rose up off his bed. He walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now he's standing there. And he noticed her. And he saw her. And he thought, hmm, now that's a fine woman. And he decides just to look for a while. Now let's just stop right here. Dead baby. Amnon dead. Tamar raped, life destroyed. Absalom dead. Kingdom divided. Running for your life. Disgrace. Wives dishonored on the rooftop in the public square. Could he have stopped all that? Could he have saved the lives of all his children? Could David have stopped all of that right here? Could he? This is so many times we are not thinking like this, are we? We're not thinking about... What effect our lives have on other people's lives. How it will trickle down. One thing you need to know. The wages of sin is. And you got to know. You commit to sin. There is going to be some death. Well maybe it won't be this time. There will be some death. It's a law. Well God loves me and. He'll let me off life. And this is one area where parents are missing it. Because they're misrepresenting God to their children. Because they tell their children, if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. And then they do it, and they don't get in trouble. And it happens with their school teachers. And it happens with their coaches. And it happens with different people in their life. And here they get 15, 16 years old, and they've broken every rule in the book. And it didn't cost them anything. And they get to believe in gods like that. They get to believing, I can get by with it. It ain't going to cost me. No, friend. Parents, make it cost them. It's a small thing compared to what it can cost them if they don't learn this. I mean, costing them a toy is nothing compared to costing them their life. But wisdom knows that. Wisdom looks at the end from here. Make it cost them. If you said they won't get to go on the trip, then they don't get to go on the trip. No matter how much they cry, no matter how much they flop around, it needs to cost them something. Or else why they going to think God's like you. And that there is no death with sin. You can get by. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of what? His own where does it start? With your longing. It starts with your desire. Where did all this death and all this destruction begin in David's life? With him longing for this woman that he knows 
he's not supposed to be longing for. Not long after he found out it's Uriah's wife. If he didn't already know that, he knows. How many understand there's no way he doesn't know this is wrong? He knows. And yet he wants her anyway. And so he decides to think about it and to look and to imagine and long. Is that a problem? So you hear people say, well, it's okay if you look as long as you don't touch. No, it's not okay. It's like the man I told you last week. It's like the man where I went on the car lot to look at the car, you know. He came out, can I help you? And I said, oh, I'm just looking. He said, that's how it starts. <laughs> all his kids dying. All of this destruction. All of this disgrace. Tell me how it started. How did it start? With him looking and longing. Tell me, could he have done anything else? Help me out. Could he have done anything else? Hmm? What could he have done? See, there's nobody around, though. He's a king. Who's going to make him do it? He could have controlled himself, though, couldn't he? What if he'd have said, that's just not right. This is not, what are you doing? Get out of here. Go back in the house. Get your mind on something else. Five children's lives just saved that night. They'd have never known it. But all that stuff they'd have never gone through. Go with me to uh, Romans 13. Man, this was only point one on this. Let me touch on the others. We won't have time to expound upon it, but I'll just say it, and then maybe we can go into it next week some further. But... If it's true that when you sin, there's going to be death every time. No escaping it. It's a law. And people know that. Why would they do it? Why do people keep doing it? Here's the answer. Because it's enjoyable. Because it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. And the devil's lying to you about how much it's going to cost you. Somebody says, sin is enjoyable? Yeah. Hmm? Now this is an area where the church has really failed. They've not told the truth in this area. They tell the people, the people tell their children that sin's not fun. Oh, sin is awful. You wouldn't even like it. No. You don't want to go party with that bunch. Oh, you'd be miserable. No, you don't want to do those drugs. No, no, you don't want to be in immorality. No, the truth is, there's pleasure in it. I only got four people nodding their head. Like, oh, Brother Keith. I'm quoting the Bible. Hebrews said, there is pleasure in sin for a season. It's a brief amount of time. I mean, if there was no pleasure in it, why would you even be tempted to do it? <laughs> Wouldn't be a temptation. Where's the temptation? The temptation is that you know there's going to be some pleasure in that. And so the enemy, talking to Adam and Eve, he said, look at that tree. Ain't that a pretty tree? Look at that fruit. You know that fruit got to taste good. You know it's going to make you so wise and 
You're going to be like gods. And see, how many understand? There's little pieces of reality in there. They are going to see and know some things. Maybe it was an amazing taste. I don't know. There is some pleasure in sin. But here's the thing, friend. There is no way it's worth what you're going to pay for. There is no wisdom in sin. I mean, if a man or woman looking at committing a sin, yielding to a sin here, could look down the road and see everything that's going to come as a result of that, only a fool would keep doing it. Only a fool would continue. But, because we don't see all that and the devil's lying to us that it's going to be okay, we can get by with it and it's not going to be death and all you see is the pleasure. All he wants to talk to you about is man, you can't pass this by. I mean, you're going to enjoy this. This is going to be amazing. And for a little while, it could be. And that's what the church hasn't admitted. And the truth makes us free. So when the devil comes and says, and tries to tempt you with something, you don't sit up there like you've got a choir robe on and, and your hair is fixed perfect and pretend I'm not even being tempted. When you are tempted, you need to admit to yourself that you are being tempted. And when something's pulling on you, you don't need to play church games. You need to admit, yeah, that could be fun. That could be pleasure. That could be joy. But you need to have enough understanding to know it's going to last about this long. And then the death is just going to keep on going. Not only that, not everything that's pleasurable is sin. God has pleasure. Oh, come on now. God has pleasure. At His right hand, there's pleasures. Oh, come on. Forever more. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. God has, how many stay with Adam and Eve? They had all these other trees. They could enjoy. They had all these other things they could have pleasure with. But that's how sin is. The one thing you're not supposed to have, that's the one he wants to hang around there and go, now this one, this one, oh, this is the one you want. What about all this? You could ignore that. That's what God told David afterwards. When he was talking to him and talking to him through the prophet. He said, I gave you the house of Saul. I gave you beautiful wives. I gave you all these things. And this is what he said. Go look it up sometime. He said, if that had not been enough, I would have given you more. But no. He had to go and despise the commandment about committing adultery that he knew perfectly well and betray a man that was loyal to him and murder and kill and steal somebody else's wife and gift. Friend, always remember that. If you're in a situation and you're not satisfied and you're not happy and you're not fulfilled, you do not have to sin to get fulfilled. In fact, it won't. You might have pleasure for this long, but it ain't going to fulfill you. In the end, it's not going to satisfy you. And if you'll just control yourself, God said, I will give you what you need. If this is not enough, I will give it to you. And he knows how to do it. And you may have to stand and wait a bit, but he will do it. That's what the Bible talks about in James when it says, count it all joy. When you fall into divers, temptations, and trials, tests. Knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have a perfect work. Come on, that you may wind up how? 
perfect and entire wanting if you'll just resist the temptation and not give in. You may be unhappy. You may be hurting right now. But God will take care of you. He will fulfill you. He'll satisfy your longing soul. He'll fill your aching hungry heart. He will do it. You'll wind up complete. Entire. Wanting. Nothing. But what if you sin? You're going to have death. You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. You're going to lose your respect. You're going to lose ministry. You're going to lose relationship. You're going to lose family. You're going to lose prosperity. You're going to lose. Lose your health. Lose your sanity. You're going to lose something. You're going to die. God will forgive you and cleanse you. You can't overcome. But you'll know you've been through something. Now don't look back. If God has forgiven you and cleansed you. He doesn't see any spot in you tonight. We ain't talking about looking back. We're talking about me and you not yielding tomorrow. And going the rest of the week and month and not sinning. Come on. Going the rest of the month. Right? And no matter how we're tempted, we just keep resisting. Because we know better. And no matter how much he lies to us and tells us we can get by with it, we say, hey, I ain't no fool. You've been telling everybody the same lie since Adam and Eve. I ain't falling for that. No. No today. No tomorrow. No. I'm not giving in. I'm not yielding. Romans 13, 14. Just put it up on the screen and we'll call it done for now. Romans 13, 14. What does it say? Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and do what? Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Lest the Lord says something differently. And next time we can get into this. I want to go into detail about how we can make it easy on ourselves. One scripture says walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Follow the leading of the spirit. What if David had been out on the field with his men like he was supposed to be. Never been on top of the house. Never saw the naked woman. Never been tempted. And this scripture talks about make no provision for it. Make it easy on yourself. Anything's tempting you, get it away from you. I had four people agree with that, and that's one of the most important things we've said all night. Anything pulling on you, tempting you, get away from it. Get it away from you. Turn it off. Blank it off. Give it away. Cut it off. Disconnect it. Are you with me now? If it's pulling on you, if it's tempting you, do not play games. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't act like you're not being tempted. You know you are. You know you're at work and you're thinking about looking at it when you get home. You know you're there and you're thinking about getting involved or just kind of happening to come by and striking up a conversation. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Do not kid yourself. You know and you're making provision. For the lust of the flesh. Listen to other translations. It says, do not think about how to gratify the desires. New living, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge the evil desires. Holman, make no plans to satisfy these fleshly desires. Cut it off. The next time you're tempted, think about David standing up there on that rooftop. Could he have done something different? Could he have changed the lives of his children? By doing what? 
It starts with desire. It starts with longing and looking. And if you'll cut it off there, the sin never conceives. It never gets committed. The death never is produced. Oh, come on. Can you see this? We're not fools, are we? If God shows us these things, we're going to walk in them. He's going to help us stand up on your feet. We're going to walk in these things. We're going to walk in victory. Sin shall not have dominion over us. We're free from sin. Glory to God. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.